You're listening to Aesthetically Speaking. On this podcast, we're talking about all things branding, logos, colors, fonts, and the strategy behind it all. It seems like these days it's easier than ever to build an audience, but harder than ever to stand out online. My name is Rebecca, and I'm a brand strategist and designer. I'm here with my sister, Abby, a lawyer who needs a creative outlet. Together, we're going to talk about how to bring your brand to life. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This week, we are doing another branding challenge. So if you're tuning in for the first time, Rebecca and I are sisters. We have been going through and Rebecca has prepared a brand for each of our siblings. Yes. So we've done Andrew. He's a professor. We've done Caroline. She's a musician. We are now on to our sister, Eliza, Mm -hmm. who is in a a quandary right now. She is trying to decide if she's going to pivot careers. So her background is in journalism. Um, she's she's done a lot of web media etc for a local news station and she also is thinking about transitioning to education mm-hmm. yeah when i talked to eliza to get her consent for creating a brand and talking about it on the podcast i was like do you want me to create something that's like just for you personally do you want something that's more education focused like more journalism focused and she was leaning more towards focusing on like the journalism aspect, like her experience mostly as like a writer and then potentially like writer educator. So that's kind of the direction that she gave me. Well, she told me, she told me a few things. One of Eliza's passions is about social media and how social media affects teens and how we teach and talk about social media, like in, grade school, high school, and beyond. I think that's what her thesis is about, is like using social media, something like that. Anyway, so she has like this strong media literacy passion, but she also has always just been very passionate about storytelling. She's a people person, the most people person you have ever met. And she's a, she's a talker. Also. Yes. Yes. Like she, she will talk your ear off. She's super thoughtful. And I know that she's kind of wanted to do some investigative journalism, like being willing to tell the whole story about something. Right. I feel like that's kind of her specialty. She was one of those people growing up. She would make friends with the old people in our ward, in our neighborhood. Yes. And, and like was always befriending them, like always wrote thank you notes. There's, I wanted to kind of capture like that handwritten note aspect of her personality because that is like so core to Eliza like nobody yes. writes notes like Eliza does. Yeah, that's very true. I would add to that so yeah. Eliza is I feel like it is important to mention Eliza is tall and has a lot of presence. Yes. Like, like when she she's does, there you know you it. know that she's there like she commands the attention of the room. Mm-hmm. We uh, tease her for being loud. We tease her for being loud in in like the nicest way. And to be fair, she's she's among the middle children in our yes. family of seven kids. So like everybody's got to be loud. Otherwise, you will not get hurt. <laughs> yes. Eliza is the fifth of seven, right? She's the fifth. Yeah. Yeah. She's number five. So, so yeah. We really should have her on here to talk about what it's like to be the fifth child because. Oh, she's got things to tell you. Oh, my gosh. I, I know she feels a, she felt maybe still feels oppressed by us. So Rebecca and I are considered like the older kids because we're number two and three. Uh huh. And there was a time when we would like play a game and we'd all play hide and seek or something. And, and when Eliza came to chase us, we'd throw a blanket over her head and run away. <laughs> yes. Well, and this, it started out when she was little enough that she didn't know that we were like making her the butt of the joke. And obviously we took that too long, carried that on too long. Yes. So we did it to the point where she was aware that she wasn't included, which is so funny now that I have kids. I'm like, it is really hard to have a kid who's like, not quite a little kid, not quite a big kid. And it's also interesting because, so you know, like the birth order personality. I 100% subscribe to the birth order theory. I would would love to talk about this on every podcast. (laughs) Okay. Well, I, I generally believe in it, but it obviously breaks down because like technically you and I are both middle children. Okay. So the book, the most recent book that I read about birth order was actually saying that most of the, I think there's kind of generations of it, right? So like a long time ago, birth order was very much like your cardinal order in the family. 
mm-hmm. based on a model where everybody was having four plus kids. Okay. Right. In the modern era where people aren't having as big of families, what people think of as contemporary birth order pseudoscience, really. Sure. They actually say that most families are composed of groups. So mm. what I like when I was reading it, the way I thought about it is Andrew is the oldest child in the entire family. Right. But also I think like the three of us or maybe the four of us are actually a group. Yes. So you and I behave more like middle children. Yes. So I think some of those anxieties about like, where do I fit in with the family? I'm getting overlooked. Mm -hmm. Um, Bonding more with peers or siblings that are your age instead of your parents. That's very much middle child behavior. 100%. Yeah. And then there are other things like I am not the oldest child, but I am the oldest girl. So Mm -hmm. in other aspects, I sometimes behave more like an oldest child. Yes. And so for Eliza... She might be the middle child of the Jonathan to William family. Right. right? And there's a bigger gap before Caroline. Right. Or she could be the oldest child of the youngest children. That's kind that's kind of how I think of her is like the oldest of the youngest. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's super interesting. I it, there's also some interesting dynamics because even though I'm the third oldest, I was the first one married. And the first to have kids. And the first to have kids. So I also feel like in some dynamics, less so of individual siblings, but kind of in like families, it's kind of like ours is the first family. In the extended family, I definitely feel like you're now the oldest child. Right. Right. But like all growing up, and maybe this was just me making myself feel better, but I really identified as like, I'm a middle child. I'm easygoing. I'm low maintenance. Yeah. And maybe that was a byproduct of me sensing that our parents were too busy to. That they're just like, we're not enough resources to go around. Right. Like to to give enough attention, you know? And that's one thing that Cobb and I talk a lot about in like how many kids that we want to have. We always, somebody said this and we always say this to each other, but like love is infinite. Like you can love as many people as you want. But money is finite. (laughs) But, But money and time are not. And so. It is a consideration and I don't want to have seven kids, but even thinking about, oh, should we have four kids? I'm like, I do not have infinite time and money. Yeah. You couldn't hear what Rebecca was doing during that time, but she was taking some deep breaths. (laughs) That's why I have to ground myself when I think about having another baby, not to stress you out. When I had Peter, I literally was like, he's just going to be an only child. Like I had to tell myself that because I could not bear the thought of doing like any of the pregnancy, childbirth, any of that over oh, again. Oh gosh. Yeah. As soon as as soon as my kid was born, I I felt like that scene in Stranger Things where everything has a clock. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, so now it's like the time is ticking. Yes. If if I don't give if I don't give her a sibling that's close in age, they won't go to mm-hmm. high school together. If I wait too long, they'll be rivals. Mm-hmm. Or if they're too close, then I'll be totally overwhelmed. Right. Or they'll hate each other even more because they'll compete if they're too mm-hmm. far apart. One mm-hmm. of them will be basically an only child and will be weird. Right. Yeah. It's just a mess. I've been through the whole thing. I have to basically tell myself, like, there's only so much planning that you can do. And then you just have to accept that, like, however it works out will work out for your family because it's too much stress to try and finagle yeah. every little thing, you know? Yeah. Turning, turning back to Eliza. The yes. other thing I would mention about her is in the journalism world, I see her as a features reporter more than a hard-hitting news. So mm-hmm. she's done everything, right? She yeah. she helps transition. She writes scripts for TV. Mm-hmm. She puts stuff on the web. She does all kinds of stories. But personality-wise, I don't see her as the person who is at the scene as the mm-hmm. explosions are going on behind her and she's describing what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I don't really see her as like the foreign correspondent who is like, let me tell you about Yemen. Right. I think for her, like, very much human interest, interest, pop culture, what's going on, and the relationships between people, um, a lot of, like, in-depth interviewing, I think, is more her style. Yes. I was going to say, she probably wouldn't be the – I mean, not that she couldn't be, but just, like, personality-wise, she wouldn't be the reporter that has, you know, the explosion behind her. But she would 100% be the person that's, like, talking to people who were there. Yes. And like hearing their stories and getting their take on it and like sharing their opinion. I also feel like, and so Eliza right now is just doing writing. 
but she has some interest in maybe moving into like on air TV reporting. And I do feel like that would be a really good fit for her personality because, like we said, like she has this presence. Mm-hmm. She makes friends with everybody. She like she doesn't, she's not afraid to like introduce herself to people. Yeah. Like when you think about people who are just natural networkers, that is Eliza. Yeah, that's totally Eliza. So I feel like that would fit really well with her, with her brand. Okay, do you want to see some of the inspiration that I gathered? Yeah, I'm curious where you started with this. Okay, so hang on, let me move my screen over so that you can't see her. Um, well, I'll give I'll give a little background. So thing. Rebecca has been walking us through her entire ideation process for these brands. Yes. So she's going to show us like the mood boarding, where she drew inspiration, how she drew those conclusions, and then kind of her visual brainstorming. And eventually we'll see the full mock-up. And that's, mm-hmm. if I'm understanding right, all of that's available on your Instagram or on your blog. Yes. So in the show notes for each episode, I have the images of like the inspiration. You can actually go see the Pinterest board that I created and then the actual brand board that has like the logo, color, type, all of that stuff. So the first thing that I wanted to explain is that when I was like, okay, I'm creating a brand for a journalist, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, we're going editorial. And I think editorial is kind of a word that's thrown around a lot and people don't necessarily know what it means anymore. I only know in America's Next Top Model, when they do editorial, it's the opposite of catalog. Yes. Yes. That's a very good actually explanation. You can think of editorial as something that is printed. That's where the idea first comes from. And it's supposed to be high level. So like in America's Next Top Model, if they're doing editorial, it's going to be more exploratory. So if you think of a magazine, a magazine is like exploring new ideas. They're creating, you know, new ways of looking at pictures. Like they're going to have like the Balenciaga, like the weird poses. And I'm thinking of like the Zara memes where it's like the people are upside down with their pairs of jeans, because the idea is not necessarily to sell that exact pair of jeans. The idea is to sell the concept. Yeah. So they even talk about in, uh, there's an episode of America's Next Top Model in the early seasons where Janice Dickinson uh-huh. talks about catalog poses and you are, you're showing how the product is used. So if you have exactly. a watch, you're hailing a cab or you're looking at your watch, mm-hmm. or if you have rain boots, you're stepping in a puddle and it's, yes. it's, it's a little bit more literal, but also utilitarian, right? It's very yes. much translating the exact idea of what the clothing is, showing that it has pockets, showing the features. And editorial is, this is the feeling you have when you wear these clothes. Yes, exactly. And that's why, like, I really love to do editorial things. I like to think really abstractly. I like to think about, like, the concept behind something. Whereas, like, catalog or the word that I kind of use is, like, generic or functional. It's like, this is actually how the product is used. Like, we're actually trying to sell you this pair of jeans. And that's why they're, like friendly and up close because this is how a mom would wear these pair of jeans as opposed to the more meta version of things. Yeah. The other thing for editorial is that, like I said, you're looking at things that are printed. And so if you want like a quick hack, you can think to yourself, if I was putting something in the New York Times, that would be editorial, that type style. Right. Right. So when I'm starting with Eliza's brand, that's what I've been thinking about. I'm thinking, okay, I'm creating something that looks like high fashion, high concept, that also looks like it would be printed in a newspaper. So I'm noticing on your mood board, it looks to me like there's a lot of serif fonts. Yes. Kind of traditional what you picture in it, like a news headline, which I think is very on the nose. Mm -hmm. I read somewhere... I wish I could cite my sources better, but I've read somewhere that uh, in print, it's easier for your eye to read serifed fonts. Mm-hmm. But when you're reading on a digital screen, it's easier to read sans serif. Is that true or is that just like a convention that we've created? So, like it is and it isn't. The reason that serifs exist is because back in ye olden days when you would print something, you would print something meaning like Johannes Gutenberg. Yes. yes. Everything comes back to good old Gutenberg. It always does. (laughs) When you would print something, you would have ink bleed. 
Okay. And it would create these little serifs. Interesting. So it was not, it was not a stylistic choice. It was an accident. Well, and it's like, if you go back even further, when you're actually writing like with a calligraphy pen, it's very hard when you move the pen to not have ink bleed and to not have those little licks. Yeah. And those create the serifs. And then when we first started printing things, we were mimicking that style. Okay. So it's kind of like, and then you would actually have the bleed from the press. Anyway, so it's kind of like, which influenced which. So it's a convention that is, it it is stylistic, ultimately. It's something we've grown to expect because of the function of movable type and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't really think there's any need for things to be printed in serif anymore. It's just an expectation that we have. Okay. In the legal world, yes, things do have to have serifs or- yeah. Or all the old judges lose their minds. Yes, exactly. Well, and it's also like, if you have, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, I remember. I was was going to say in the, we should do a whole episode talking about the formatting and the layout of appellate briefs from a design standpoint, but- Oh my I'm gosh, pretty sure yes. your Supreme Court briefs have these giant margins and they're in century mm-hmm. school book. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like it's it's very, very identifiable. Like, oh, this is a serious, this is a serious thing. This is going to the highest court. Look how big the margins are. Look how big the type is. Right. And some of that could also be a like a functionality thing too, because if something is going to be bound or something is going to be put right. in a binder or if something is going to have notes written in it, you need to have space for that. But I was going to say the other thing about serif fonts is they use less ink. Typically. Really? I mean, it's like probably back in the day they didn't, but now, you know, a lighter weight font uses less ink than a heavier weight font. So like if you have a really bold, basically if you have a really bold, like plain print letter font, that's going to use a lot more ink than if you have something that's a little bit more delicate. So that's a factor as well. I actually read this really cool article from a designer who created the most eco-friendly font. Interesting. It was basically like the most readable font that used the least amount of ink, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And it's something I would, it would never occur to me. Right. Right. But like, that's a consideration. Ink is a scarce resource. Yeah. Right. Anyway, so going back to Eliza's brand with the serif fonts. Okay. So my first thought is I'm like editorial. New York Times, I'm even going so far as to think printing press, black letter style font, like, right, like ye old English shoppy style. Yeah. And I, I definitely pulled some inspiration from that. But there's also this side of Eliza that is like fanciful. Like she has a really big imagination. She really likes things to be feminine. Like there is this kind of, I don't want to say whimsical, but there's like something like lovely about her. I would say she's a she's a big ideas person and she's a dream yes. big person, but she's not a she's not a like I live in Wonderland, right? Fairies and rainbows, right? Not like a fantasy kind of person, but someone who is you know a a big thinker, thinking yes. a step ahead, not yes. bound by convention in that way. Who did she say when we asked like what character from a fictional book? Who did she say that she would be? Uh, I think she said Malala, but that's not fiction. <laughs> Definitely not fiction. I'm trying to remember. Did she say that she would be Anne of Green Gables or am I making that up? I can't remember. I feel like she put down somebody and I was like, oh, I, I didn't think that you maybe would identify with her. Anyway, yeah. maybe not as like dreamy and ditzy as Anne of Green Gables, but there's definitely an element of that. And one thing that Eliza mentioned to me is that she has always loved wildflowers and she's loved the concept of wildflowers, that it's something that grows on their own, but it's also something that you can cultivate based on, you know, where you live and the kind of soil and the kind of rain that happens in the mountains. And so that was kind of something that was significant to her. So I wanted to- Even a lot, sorry to interrupt, but Eliza's wedding cake- was mm-hmm. the wildflowers that she had collected and then prepped. Yes. And they put all around her wedding cake, which I had never seen before and was really, really stunning. <laughs> yeah, it was really pretty. And you should also definitely... put in the, sorry, you should oh, also put fine. in the show notes the 
the design for Eliza's wedding because it also had like a wildflower motif. Yes. Yeah. Eliza's Eliza's wedding, which I also designed, which you also just said, so I don't know why I repeated that, but it was... To confirm, yes, Rebecca <laughs> designed the invitation for Eliza's wedding. <laughs> anyway, I would say it was it was more traditional wedding, timeless vibe, whereas this, I'm also pushing a little bit of a modern vibe. So what I experimented with was using a font that looked like a serif font, but wasn't quite a serif font. So it gave Mm -hmm. you some of that editorial feel, but also gave it more of this upscale vibe. Another thing that I really loved, these images where you have like something that's typed, but then there's something handwritten over it, like they circle something or they like fill in the blanks kind of thing. I really liked that vibe for her and wanted to bring that in. So let me show you, drum roll, her actual branding. Let me zoom out and then I'll zoom in and show you everything. So the way that I organize my brand boards, I put the logo at the top then I do the color palette. Then I do some inspiration images in terms of type and layout. Then I typically do another version of their logo, like a if I do you know, a horizontal version, then I do a stacked version or vice versa. And then I put a brand pattern at the bottom. So the goal is that you would turn this over to somebody and they would be able to create things for their brand with just, it's like a cheat sheet, right? Right. So, so let me tell you what I see. Yes. So at the top, Eliza's logo says Eliza Jane, which is very her, like she likes her middle name. Mm hmm. And it looks, so Eliza is written right side up and then Jane is written upside down, but they kind of nest together. Mm -hmm. And the upside down J, it looks like is the stem of a wildflower. Mm -hmm. And so around the type, there's a little wildflower motif. Mm -hmm. And then the background color for that, it's black type on like a really rich, I would say cerulean. Now that I've just seen that meme from Devil Wears Prada a million times. (laughs) I was thinking like a blue bonnet blue. Mm-hmm. Blue bonnet, yeah. Which fits, you're in Texas, blue yes. bonnet season. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Can you tell me about what type you use? Did you create this? Did you modify it? Yeah. So I found this typeface. There's a designer um, called Tan Type Co. And they have really stunning editorial fonts. And so I kind of knew as I was looking at her brand that maybe they would have something that would kind of fit this vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, so this font is called, and I'm going to say it wrong. It's not Minion, but it's M-I-G-N-O-N. Oh, Mignon. Mignon. Thank you. Like, I think I that's am... like filet mignon. Yes. Like a steak. <laughs> yes. Is that what it's called? Filet mignon? Yeah. Yeah. I had to think about that for a second. Okay, so that's the name of the typeface. And I really liked this because I felt like it was personable, but still felt like it belonged in a magazine. And I also decided to put her name in lowercase, all lowercase, because I wanted it to feel like this was not an authority figure, but somebody that's like a peer figure. It's a very approachable look. And to me, it looks really modern now that everybody has, you know, their handle is usually all lowercase. Right, exactly. So it it wouldn't feel like this is an institution. This would feel like this is an individual that's capturing your story. Right. And that's definitely the the vibe that I wanted. I added these little, like you said, the wildflower motif, and I used that in the background of her other logo to capture that feeling that she described of like the wildflowers and cultivating growth and also to give her that feminine vibe. Mm-hmm. Where she's telling the stories and talking to people and there's there's no judgment or preconceived notions, but she really wants whatever comes out to come out. Right. And I like that for her. I turned her name upside down. So it says Eliza Jane upside down because I also loved the concept of reflection and how a hmm. journalist is reflecting what is happening to the outside world. They're reflecting the truth, but there's also, it's, I thought about honestly making her name an ambigram where it's like yeah. the exact same upside down, but I decided not to do that. First of all, because it wasn't very readable. And this is not the, this is not angels and demons. And this is not angels and demons, but also because it's not a perfect reflection. 
And a good journalist doesn't just say exactly what somebody else said. They characterize the facts in the way that they understand them. Yeah. And that aspect of it's a reflection of the truth. And I'm not saying that it's not truthful, but just that a good journalist puts their own voice into a story. And I wanted right. that to be, to be reflected. So well, that's now that you say that, now. now that you say that, I can see the reflection, like the E's kind of match up and the A's kind of match up, which mm-hmm. is, again, that's subtle. Like I wouldn't have picked up that that's why you did it, but it actually, it matches up really well. That looks cool. Yeah. And I really liked that the J, because it dips down. When you turn it upside down, it looks like it's growing. And that made it really easy to turn it into a wildflower. So I felt like it worked conceptually and it worked visually, which is always what you're going for. Right. I have a lot of great concepts that just do not work visually. And so when the moment where I turned it upside down and I nestled it in together and I was like, oh, this works really well. Yeah, it looks so good. Okay, so I'm looking at the color scheme. Yes. And it looks like there is almost like a neutral, it's like between a mustard and a khaki Mm -hmm. and then kind of a burnt orange. It looks like a very pale pink, Mm -hmm. a a leafy green that's a little bit muted and then kind of a cornflower blue. Mm -hmm. And I would add this like blue bonnet blue to that. Yeah. The blue bonnet blue. So those to me, now that you've explained the wildflower concept, they look like this is what you would see on a hike during a super bloom, right? Exactly. Yeah. I took these, I took the, the like poppy red and green and blue directly from a wildflower picture. And then I really wanted something that felt a little bit like industrial, right? Okay. It it felt, I don't want to say like, it felt like a newspaper because I didn't do gray, but it feels like maybe an old piece of paper maybe in yeah. a box. Like there's something about it that makes me think of like a factory. And I liked that juxtaposition with these other bright colors. Yeah. Because I felt like that was the life and the interest and the growth. And then kind of this muted yellow color that's like, oh, and this is how we get it done. This is like the history of things behind it. Yeah. So I really hope that her brand feels like a modern take on a traditional journalist. I like it. Yeah. And it does look very personable. Yeah. Which I think fits because we were talking about how Eliza might pivot into teaching, Mm -hmm. has kind of a new media journalism presence. But I also think ultimately all of this is going to get wrapped up into one, right? Right. She could do a Skillshare course. Mm -hmm. She could just do online courses. She could tutor. She could do a podcast. She could do a podcast. But (laughs) has she done a podcast? (laughs) Who was the first in the family to do a podcast? We're the ones actually doing it. Rebecca's really the oldest podcast child. She's the trailblazer here. So true. She could be... Anyways, I just think there's so many different ways that she could educate, talk about media literacy, Mm -hmm. influence the world, report on what's happening. Mm -hmm. So some of these traditional silos, like what do you do for your day job, Mm -hmm. are kind of being broken down. 100%. So as long as she's identifiable, I I think this could work for either or both. Yes. Well, and that's the other thing. Like I was talking to my friend and client, Kaylin, and she was like, she had sold her business and she was kind of pivoting to something new, but she was, I don't want to say like bouncing around, but she was just kind of exploring different options. And like, she would try on one thing, like, I'm going to be a coach. And then she'd be like, no, I'm going to be like an exit strategist. And like, no, anyway, and was just kind of playing around these things. And she was like, I'm just not sure like what I need. She was like, maybe I'll be like a home decor influencer. Like, I love all of that. And I told her, I was like, Kaylin, I think what you need is a personal brand because then you can do all of these things. Right. And like, that sounds so obvious, but like, that's what it is. Like when you have a personal brand, it allows you to explore all of the things that you're passionate about and have them feel really cohesive. Like now, yes, Eliza can be a journalist and a podcaster and a speaker and like a youth leader, whatever it is, because she has the right to facilitate it. Otherwise, it just feels random. Also, yeah, I I, I was oh, thinking ahead. about one of the influencers I know, her, her brand is literally like home renovation, minimalism, infertility. Mm-hmm. And in the abstract, you might think like, okay, did she just draw these out of a hat? Right. But that's not how it works. Like when you are, are organically mm-hmm. moving into this space, like those are her 
things that contribute to her identity and experiences that she's had lived through. Right. So now she has the expertise to talk about those and to influence other people. Mm -hmm. And they're all like authentic to her. It might, it might seem a little weird in the abstract, but like having seen her over a number of years, it comes across as very genuine and even organic because her life has just moved in a certain way. So, right. Well, and you start to feel like, of course you talk about home renovations and fertility. Like those things, those things go together. Right. But like when you actually step back, you're like, those are actually totally separate things, you know? Yes. Yeah. I, um, I'm reading this book called how to be weird that I (laughs) am obsessed with. It's just like, a bunch of little things you can do to like practice being creative anyway. And one of the things that he talks about in this book is the shadow box effect, which is basically when you, if you had a collection of random things, right? Like a bottle cap and a stick it, a a stick it tub, a ticket, a ticket tub, (laughs) a ticket stub (laughs) and an old certificate, you know, like these random things. They don't mean anything and it feels weird, but as soon as you place them in a shadow box and hang it up on your wall, all of a sudden it becomes really significant and meaningful. Yes. And I've actually thought a lot about that with branding. Like, that's what I'm doing. I'm creating your shadow box of like yes. the things that feel disjointed. Like, I'm going to help you make that really beautiful and cohesive. And I, re- I just, yes. I liked that analogy. I thought it was fun. Yeah, I like that a lot. I'm curious what were the what were the challenges you had in designing brand oh, for Alexa? So there were a couple things. Um, one was that her name. I I love names like this where you have repeated letters like the A and the E in both Eliza and Jane, but it's always a challenge to find the right way to do it because for me I'm like, do I want to draw attention? to those letters being the same? Do I not not draw attention? Like I have to play around with that. And I experimented a lot with, how do I describe this? Like I would put her first name in one font and then her um, middle name in a different font, kind of creating this juxtaposition of like a really traditional with a really modern. That was like almost what I did. I really liked it conceptually, but just visually it didn't look good. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, what can I do that's, you know, continuing with this same idea of like traditional, which I also like because news is a traditional media. Yes. She is young and she's doing digital and she's doing social. And so anyway, so I felt like that was a thread that I wanted to explore. Anyway, so that's why I ended up doing this font that's like almost a serif, but not quite and turning the the second name upside down. The other challenge i would say is knowing how to incorporate elements like icons without making it too busy or cheesy or just unnecessary like i (laughs) i think i did a instagram post about this once but i was basically like you should not have a flower in your logo unless you have a dang good reason for wanting a yes. flower in your logo because it just it is kind of generic like it doesn't necessarily mean anything other than feminine well and like eliza is not she's not a horticulturist right i was like unless no, you are a florist she's not a greenhouse yeah so i feel like you have to be careful with that and that's one where eliza had explicitly said to me that she wanted a wildflower reference and so that's okay. That's a case where I'm taking input from the client and working yes. it into the concept. Not to say that I wouldn't have done that on my own, but that I did have a compelling reason for doing that. But that was also a challenge. The What I really wanted to do is, I think this is really visually compelling. So I just have her name and then I have a big white flower behind it. And that, I like that too, honestly. Yeah, I liked it because it felt like a collage. And so it yeah. felt like somebody who's piecing the, the, the elements of a story together. And that's ultimately why I went with the style of flower that I did. So rather than doing like a hand-drawn flower, I did a cutout it looks flower. Like a, it's like a Matisse yeah, style. Yeah, it looks like the, a Matisse style, but it looks like a pressed flower too. Yes. yeah, Which I think has an element of collage and history. Yes. Yes, exactly. I think you could I think you could do both. 
can I see the the logo down below where her name is all on one line? Uh huh. Because I initially on my screen because my uh, daughter has turned down the brightness so far. <laughs> I could not see the shadow behind it. Yeah, I actually I really even like it. I like it red. I I want her brand to feel. Yeah, bold. I like that. Isn't that cool? Yeah, yeah. And I really like lines crossing over lines. But this is harder to read. So again, like that's a, you have to be careful that it's not unreadable, you know, all of those things. Yeah. And I think with the, with the upside down font, I can see how that would get too busy. Right. Yeah. Like you can read Eliza, you basically can't read the second word. And so you just have to decide, like, I would totally do a version of this, like on her website, but I wouldn't make this her primary logo. Because yeah. you're going for simplicity. I and you'd probably like I'd probably even do a version that's like just this little flower and do like E and J around it and have it be like a little monogram. Anyway, so that's Eliza's brand basically. And I think it captures all of the elements that it needs to. And I also feel like it gives you a feeling. And that's really what I want yeah. to create with her brand. Like it makes you feel like there's an element of imagination in there. There's an element yes. of something traditional and editorial in there. And then it's also very feminine and personable and sweet. And I feel like all of those things together. Really- and I can see this. I can see this as a personal blog or like a portfolio website for her. Totally. But I can also see it as stationary, which I think goes back to what you were saying about Eliza being very... Yes. Thoughtful, handwritten notes, communicative, expressive. Yes. So, yeah, I think a wildflower stationary line would do really well. Oh my gosh, right? I'm like, you could totally put this on a stationary, like turn this into thank you, and people would 100% buy that. Yeah, it's really cute. Okay, so I'm also, I'm also curious if you were directing Eliza in a styled shoot. Oh, what I would do. Where, like, where do you go with this? Is it too literal to have her in like a field of wildflowers? I don't think it's too, I don't think it's too on the nose to have her in a field of wildflowers. If I was going to do something like really out there, I would put like a desk with computer screens and like tons of papers in the middle of a field and do pictures there. I love it. Like we talked about this before, but I love the juxtaposition of two things. So like I could also do her in like a really fanciful gown in the middle of the newsroom. That's what I was kind of thinking. Like Like, maybe do super black and white newsroom, busy, Mm -hmm. super corporate. Mm -hmm. And then she's whimsical or there's like a jar of wildflowers on her desk. Right. 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 Yeah. I would do something like that. I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do something that's like, a backdrop of newspapers with her in front of it. I I love that visually. I just think it's overdone. So you'd have to think a little bit more creatively. Um, I'm thinking of the episode of Gilmore Girls where they're getting inducted to the Yale Daily News and they have to wear hats made of newspaper. (laughs) Which I asked, I asked one of my friends who wrote for the Yale Daily News, I was like, is this a real hazing ritual? Do they really make you make hats out of paper? And she was like, no, that's a real thing. That is so funny. Yeah, I was going to say so you funny. could you could do something along those lines but do like an outfit for her out of newspaper kind of thing. Right. This is what I wanted to say going back to the what was challenging about creating this brand and this is true for all of the brands that I create. It is challenging to create a brand for somebody who is straddling two worlds. Yeah. So where she wanted to lean more towards journalism, I kind of took it that direction, but she still wanted to capture like, I'm a teacher and I'm cultivating young minds. And anyway, my the brands that come together the fastest and the easiest for me are for the businesses who are like, I know exactly who I am. I know exactly who I'm working with. Yeah. And they still need help like putting the pieces together, but they're not wondering like, should I be a teacher or should I be a podcaster? that they're pretty solid in that thing. And then I can find in, I can find ways to bring in the other stuff. Right. So that, that is one thing as I've been continuing to work with more clients and higher level clients, 
it gets easier because they are more solid in what their business is. Yeah. And they have a clear vision for it. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think it's helpful for people who are kind of like your friend, Kaylin, Mm -hmm. who are trying to figure out what their personal brand is? Do you think it's helpful? Like right now, we don't know, is Eliza going to go and become a news anchor? Is she going to become a high school teacher? Is she going to tutor? Right. Is it, is it ever worth waiting to develop a personal brand or does that just take the client they have to do some more inner work to cultivate their specific brand identity before they call you yeah this is a really good question and something that i've honestly debated because i also feel like i'm really good at helping people figure it out yeah sometimes my clients are like i'm just trying to figure out whether i'm this or that and i'm like that's what i help you do yeah don't wait bring that to me and i'll help you with it not to totally contradict what I just said about like the clients who come and have it all figured out already. But I do feel like there's there has to be some kind of like solid decision of, okay, I don't know it like for Kaylin, I don't know exactly how I want to do it, but I want to be a mentor for women in business. That part yeah. is that part is not changing. And then I help her figure out all of the other pieces. But if you're like, I have no clue what I want to do whatsoever, I would say think on it, get quiet and and get to some kind of clarity before working with me. And also cop-out answer. I don't think it's a cop-out answer. It it reminds me of what I tell people who are like, I think I want to go to law school. Yeah. And I'm like, do you have a reason to go to law school? And they're like, well, I just don't know what else I would do. And I'm like, Law school is not a great place to like figure it out. Right. Right. But if you if you know what you want to do and law school is a stepping stone that will get you there, or if you know what skills you have and you feel like you'd be a good fit. Right. There are lots of good reasons to go to law school. There are even more bad reasons to go to law school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think I'm I'm not trying to think about law school. I think people are particularly harsh about yeah. law school. Yeah. Because the legal profession has some struggles. Yeah. I love I love being a lawyer. I think it's a great fit for me. I think in general, grad school is not a place to like flounder. Do your floundering and your investigative work before and then, you know, I'm sure it's easier for you to work with people who are like, I know I'm one of three things, but my baseline is X versus people who are like, well, I just want to be somebody. Right. Right. And the question that I come back to when I am working with somebody who I feel like just is floundering is we have to sit down and say, do you want to make money? Like really that's the reason to do it. Like having a personal brand is cool, but like just having a personal brand because it makes you feel cool. I don't think is a strong enough reason. If you you feel like, go, go ahead. Are you getting more, are you getting more of that now that there is like the influencer economy and the coach economy? I would say I get more people who want personal brands, but they want them to make money. Okay. I was going to say, like, I do have clients that I work with where they really want a brand. They really want a website. But when we actually talk about what they want, they don't really care about making money. Seriously? <laughs> yes. Not everybody. Where, where are wants, these people? <laughs> not everybody wants to make money. And they just want to give you money for fun? <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's part of what we figure out together. Some of them end up like they want to create a nonprofit, right? Like, okay. Well, like, yes, that's that's different. <laughs> I feel like this is the three amigos where they're like, well, af- after we buy the orphanage, of course, <laughs> we'd all do that. Like nonprofits want to make money. They want fundraising. Right. I was going to say that I was going to say they want awareness. Yeah. There's basically two, two things. One is they want an, a nonprofit. So like they want to be able to help people and they know that they need money to do that. Yeah. Right. Other people have a gift, have a skill that they want to share. They don't really want to make money doing it. They don't really want a business. They're okay Mm. just operating at this, hey, do you know somebody who does this level? And they do that. Okay. And having a brand for them is helpful. Of course, like it's always helpful. But do they need like the $15,000 brand that I'm offering? Probably not. Okay. Okay. The other thing that I wanted to say I, I don't mean to just like turn this whole thing into a pitch for myself, but I feel like it's important to mention this because 
when I was saying like, don't include flowers unless there's a good reason, I do believe that. But I also think there's a difference between a designer who's like, oh, you want flowers? And they draw a cutesy little floral illustration versus a designer who is like custom creating the exact right vibe of wildflowers for your brand. Yes. And that's what I feel like I am. So... (laughs) Rebecca, she's not like other designers. She's better. I just mean like there's when somebody says like, oh, like I want flowers. I'm like, okay, there's one bajillion different ways to put flowers in your logo. I will find the way that is appropriate for what you are trying to accomplish. Uh, Yes. And related to this, I was also going to say, I think the layperson with average level of taste and artistic or graphic design skills. Mm-hmm. Like I know a little bit of Adobe, but I couldn't create sure. that. Or if I traced it off something off the internet, I wouldn't know why they chose it or arranged it that way. Yes. Even um, this is related, I promise. But Rebecca and I have been talking about the album cover for, I guess that's what I'm calling it. I don't really, the podcast cover. Yeah. The icon for this podcast that you're listening to. Mm-hmm. And there you guys would not believe how many iterations we've been. Through. Rebecca, Rebecca has done probably a hundred <laughs> hours of work on that alone. Oh my god! In addition to all of her other responsibilities, <laughs> so embarrassing. But there anyway. have been so many times when, like, I'm an average person. I have my own aesthetic tastes. Mm-hmm. I know what vibe I like and don't like. And so I'll say to Rebecca, like, I'm thinking we should go like impressionist painting. <laughs> meets online editorial in this color scheme and it's like i can say some words and throw them together yes or i could even make a mock-up i could make a little collage of like this is the comp this is the public domain painting that i like and these Mm -hmm. are the shapes that i think kind of work but it just i'm not a designer Mm -hmm. so even my best idea isn't going to translate in the same way as someone who knows like, first of all, what's in the public domain? What's not copyrighted that we can use? Right. Yeah. How to make it into something that is totally new and unique to us. And yeah. then how to make it readable, better online, fit with a brand identity. Mm-hmm. It's just, You really showed your value this week. Otherwise, we'd have like <laughs> a blue goat playing the violin. No, the truth is like, we would have something fine. Like it would be, it would be fine, right? Like you can use a Canva template for your podcast cover and that is fine. Yeah. And not to sound super snotty, but like my work is for businesses that don't want to be just fine. They want to yeah. be world class. Like they they really want something that is custom and unique and a showcases like the high level of quality that they provide to their clients. So of course you would need a brand that does that for you. Right. And if you're in a phase where you're like, I just need fine, that is okay. But at some point as you're going your business, you're probably going to be like, I I need something that's not fine. I need something that's extraordinary. And that's what I do. I I think of people who they think they need a logo, Mm -hmm. so they buy it. And then they don't actually know how to translate it onto a product or onto a platform or how to change the colors. And so like, I think- You're just going to run into the limitations mm-hmm. of your initial investment. Yes. Also, and, side note, if you are listening to this podcast right now, we are going to update the podcast cover. So <laughs> Rebecca, Rebecca's better than this. <laughs> by, by, the time, by the time this episode releases, the new cover will be there and you will be none the wiser. But maybe know. if you write us a really nice review, I will post literally the 40 different versions. There's that so many of them. I- created so, over the last so, few so weeks. Yeah. Um the other thing is you get a logo like a black and white icon and you think that that's a brand. But like if I just had this for Eliza with I'm covering it up with my hand as if you can see that, just the black and white logo with nothing else, you really wouldn't know how to turn that into any other creative elements. Yes. So like you wouldn't know how to make a post on social media and have it be part of that brand. You wouldn't know how to do a brand photo shoot and have it be part of the brand. It it requires more. And like this, the brand boards that I'm creating for the podcast, that's like bare minimum people. What yeah. I do for my clients is like 
a hundred times more than this. So there's just no possible way for you to create anything that is not on brand. Yes. I think that's a good point too, because I look at this mood board and I'm like, okay, yeah, I could put that, I could make little icons based on that, but there is some, there's like an educational component to it too, of you teaching the client, oh, this is infiltrating everything you do from now on. Yes, exactly. One thing that I tell my clients is when I was working at a a nonprofit, I was the creative manager, but I was also the brand manager. And that meant that anything that they did, any advertising campaign they ran, any merchandise they created, any influencers they worked with, they would run that by me and say like, is this in line with our brand? And I would say like, yes, no, maybe so or whatever. And if you don't have a full-time brand manager, guess what? You are the brand manager. Yes. And so you as the CEO need to have this benchmark of like, what is my brand, both aesthetically and from a values perspective, and be willing to say no to any kind of business opportunity that's not aligned with that brand. And that's that's like the strategy part of what I do for my clients. Anyway, I feel like I'm talking too much, but no, I think that's there you perfect. go. I think that pretty much sums up everything for Eliza's brand. It's really fun to create these. And I am tentatively playing around with the idea of opening up a Patreon so podcast listeners could submit their own brief and get a basic brand design. But we really appreciate you joining us and we're excited. Our next episode will be... What's our next episode about? What's our next episode? Okay. We've done Andrew. We've done Caroline. We did Brand for Babies. We're on we did D. color. Next episode, TBD. TBD. And thank you so much for joining us and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to Aesthetically Speaking. If you want to support the podcast, please leave us a nice review or connect with us on Instagram at Rebecca Peterson Studio. 